Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Whether you are a seasoned investor or building a new real estate business, this is the show for you. Whitney Sewell talks to top experts in the business. Our goal is to help you master real estate syndication. And now your host, Whitney Sewell. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, our guest is Austin Curry. Thanks for being on the show this morning, Austin. Good morning, Whitney. Thank you for having me. Now, Austin is a founding partner at Harriet Capital, a newly formed black and woman-owned firm dedicated to improving communities through multifamily and mixed-use development. Uh, previously, he owned and operated several multifamily buildings on the south side of Chicago. He also works as a mechanical engineer in the automated vehicle industry. Austin, welcome to the show. A pleasure to have you on this morning. I know it's, it's early uh, this morning for you. Appreciate your drive to get up and, and make it happen this morning. And I think we can all learn from that for sure. But give us a little more about you, your real estate business and focus so we can dive in. Absolutely, Whitney. Thank you again for having me. It's an honor to be here. As you mentioned, I'm a little bit newer in my journey than perhaps a lot of your guests. I just started a syndication-focused firm a little over a year ago, and we did our first deal back in May, for which the timing was was not great due to the pandemic and all that madness. But yeah, my story is similar to a lot of folks. I started by myself, doing a couple multifamily properties, acquiring them with my savings, operating them, and quickly realizing that my journey toward financial independence was going to take way too long if I continued just kind of saving my own W-2 income and, and buying properties when I got enough capital to do so. So first, I tried a, a 50-50 partnership with a close friend and colleague, and then I decided to kind of multiply that even further by, by getting into the syndication side. And now, what might be of interest is... We've done our first deal. We're looking to scale quickly and do the next two through five. And now I'm getting to think about the things such as kind of identifying our unique niche, figuring out which skill sets we're particularly strong in and, and coaching up our team in, in areas that perhaps we're not as strong in. And of course, always having to, to solve and resolve the, the raising capital issue, which we were able to do despite some major hiccups, but we want to be more efficient at and just be faster and faster and cause ourselves less headaches over time. Yeah, no, that's awesome. But I want me to get this straight. So you started your syndication business in the beginning of 2020, and then your first deal was in May? Yes. So, of course, we were in conversation. I was in conversation with my 2B team members for probably almost a year prior to 2020. But yes, so we, we officially found it. We found a deal. We pulled together the, the legal entities and all that goodness. And we closed it. Okay. Well, I was just, either way, that's really quick. So, congratulations to you for making that happen. Could you just elaborate on maybe a few highlights or a few points there that were crucial to getting you to that first deal? That's where you know a lot of the listeners are or remember being one way or the other, but they're trying to do that same thing. What were a few things that were just crucial in making that first deal happen that fast? Sure. So, one thing for me was taking a hard look at my own skill sets and experience. My background is pretty common in the realm of your bigger pockets users and folks like that, but it's not technically a traditional real estate background. I'm not a broker. I've never worked in a private equity firm, not coming from finance. I'm an engineer. So I've had to take a hard look at my own skill sets and recognize that two, three years ago, I really didn't know how to underwrite a deal 
I was just very scrappy and a hustler and I met a whole bunch of people and I got things done that way, which was fine in the, the two to five unit multifamily space and these kind of classy neighborhoods, cost basis is not very high, risk is minimalized and cap rates are really high and in these working poor neighborhoods of Chicago, they have bad reputation. So there's a lot of mitigating factors that were allowing me to continue to do what I was doing. So, but anyway, the first thing I did was I found someone who I felt was more knowledgeable than myself and had a more traditional background. So my business partner is, he's a VP of acquisitions for a a firm that has several billion dollar funds. And he's another young guy, but he's just had, he's had a traditional route. He's the same age as me. He's in his low thirties, but he went to business school, went straight to Wall Street, went to real estate, private equity, and he's been in that realm for about or five years. So that was really key. He kind of elevated my own knowledge quickly. And I've spent the last two years just learning an incredible amount of information from him. He's a numbers guy. So now my own underwriting has just blossomed and and exponentially gotten better so quickly. Definitely a game changer to partner with somebody that's more experienced, right? And further down their path than you. I mean, no doubt about it. I've seen it happen so many times. And But I know a lot of the listeners are going to be thinking, no, wait a minute. Why did he partner with you? Why didn't he go find somebody that has more experience? So what was that about you? Or how did you make that happen? Because that's a problem that I hear so often. Well, you know, how am I going to add value to that person? Or why are they going to partner with me when I'm just getting started? So what was that about you? Or that made that happen? Yeah, that's a great point and a great question because now as we go seek bigger partnerships, I'm asking myself that same question. I'm like, how do I get a firm that's done 20 and 50 deals to want to partner with me on a deal in order to raise our own track record? And the answer to that was it took a while. It wasn't like I I didn't meet him and then a week later we did a deal. It was more so a very sustained both of us, we met each other, we knew each other for perhaps another year prior to even doing the deal. And we kind of witnessed one another on these various paths. And I think our skill sets are pretty complementary, I think. Jerry had a relationship, ultimately, like he already knew you, you'd already built that relationship before you said, hey, let's, why don't we go do a deal together? Exactly. There's a relationship, there was definitely a lot of overlap in our networks. And I have made a strong effort to just bring something different to the table. I had kind of had a, a visionary idea to him or to our team what felt visionary, which may be more common in, in the space, but I had a, a big idea. I thought we could educate a whole lot of new, younger Black investors. I thought we could focus on repositioning mid-sized multifamily, which is kind of the backbone of workforce housing in larger cities. And I thought we could do it in a way that was unique to what was offered on the market and offer an asset class that a lot of people weren't seeing. And I think he kind of was intrigued by that. And he was someone that had been so deep in the weeds and the numbers that he could probably have used a partner that was willing to think big and kind of pull together this verbiage and get in front of folks with him and talk to a hundred different people and, and pull deals together. Nice. Well, you know, I want to jump into just that first deal a little bit. Why don't you tell us a little about that first deal? And then I'd love to hear about you mentioned like raising capital, the issues you all had, some of them raising capital and some of the hiccups, How you, what you learned from that so we can learn from that also. But tell us about that first deal a little bit. Absolutely. So the deal is in West Atlanta, pretty close to downtown. It'd probably be, the city was a clock, it'd be around the, the 10 on a clock. And it's a neighborhood called 
sometimes called Bankhead, sometimes called East English Avenue, and a key sign that a neighborhood is transitional and now has a new name bestowed upon it. <laughs> so it's sometimes called West Midtown. The deal itself is an eight-unit apartment building, multifamily. The property was renovated probably 10 years ago. It's in pretty decent shape. The exterior is not very pretty. And the 50% of the tenants are subsidized rent tenants. So the big challenge we faced, we get right into, is we actually had three properties of this size under contract originally, and uh, probably at the start of 2020, probably late January. And we had verbal commitments to close on all three. So we were pretty excited to kind of come in and, and make a what felt like a reasonably big splash. And right in the middle of our capital call, the stock market had its biggest drop in history. And they had the, the whistle, they had the stock trading. The stock market dropped 27, 28%. So overnight, we lost 50% of our capital commits. Obviously, we fell out of contract on the three properties and we had to re-engage the seller. We had to go shore up capital and a bunch of other things happened while the world figured out what does it look like when we are all trapped in our homes and business cannot run and all of the other implications. And so it took us another several more months. Like I said, we originally in the contract at the end of January. We didn't close to the first week of May. But we were able to get something done after kind of that big, that big kick in the teeth, I would say. So that was our big challenge. Nice. Yeah. Well, give us a couple of things you learned from that or things you're, you're definitely doing different moving forward because of those issues. Definitely. I think I'm kind of doing the postmortem. I've been doing the postmortem on that deal for the last few months as we gear up to do our second. And hopefully at the time of airing, we will be under contract on our next syndication and, and going after something similar and perhaps a little bigger. But I think the big thing was just needing to be more disciplined in our plan for the race. So as you kind of noted, this deal came about fast, um, fast in the life of Harry Capital. So it was one of those things where my partner found a really great opportunity to get this small portfolio. And it was over the holiday because like I said, we went to contract in January, we did quick analysis and went under contract honestly before we were ready to do a raise we didn't come into it with a solid plan a communication plan a marketing strategy really any of those things so we kind of we hacked it together we hustled called everyone we knew pumped it out on social media and got it done but obviously that's not that's not ideal so the first thing is needing a strict timeline where everyone in our email list needs to be contacted via these methods by this date. We want to get this asset in front of them at this time, the second asset in front of them at this time. We need documents signed on this later date, capital call on this date. And I'm actually still learning from, I was doing research on your other episodes and listening to a lot of them about fundraising. I think maybe Justin Roberts said it, but just talking about having a date for capital call that's far in advance of your close date. So you have time to jump into a plan B. I really For love sure. that idea. <laughs> Most people, if you don't learn that ahead of time, you learn it the hard way. No doubt about it. You don't want to give investors. There's always a few investors that will wait to the very last minute and then push it a week or two 
So yeah, we've learned to, you got to have a deadline and then you got to reach back out and say, hey, sorry, we're going to have to move on to our wait list because we have not received your funds yet. And so they have to know that those deadlines mean something as well. But no, go right ahead. That's awesome. That's just great to hear what you've learned and how you've improved that moving forward. Yeah. yeah. And I also think for us, it was interesting because we need to balance or have different approaches for the investor's level of sophistication. I think that's another thing we learned. We were talking to friends and folks who might have even been well capitalized because we, you know, are in finance and in tech. So we do know people who have money, but they've never done a real estate deal passively or actively. And we come at them with a big deck with sensitivity tables and all this talk of IRR and cap rate compression and expansion, a hundred different things. They don't, they don't know what to do with that. And then on the other side of things, sometimes it's just too much detail for an extremely sophisticated investor who might only want to look at a one pager and, and give a quick yes or no based on the one pager and our perceived track record. So I think that's another lesson that I have in mind for this next go round is just having a few different assets and not approaching everyone with the same ones right away, kind of based on our perceived knowledge of where they're at in their own investing journey. Yes. No, that's a great point as well. Every investor is different, right? Just in their sophistication level of investing, but then just in what you're there investing in with you. If they're fearful or they're confused, then their answer is usually going to be no, right? And so that's a, that's a great point that you bring up and really understanding that investor. But you know, want to give them as much detail as they want or be as transparent as possible. But if you start bombarding them with things like that, that usually they're going to be ready to walk away, right? So you close that deal. What's happening in the business over that time period to move forward to this next deal? Tell us about how your team's grown or things you're doing there. Yeah, for sure. So of course, our focus was was operating and, and continues to be operating because we need to to truly go full cycle on a deal as area capital to really expedite our growth, I believe, and that'll be a couple of years out. But the main thing for that deal's numbers is, like most deals, uh, we got to get the rent roll up. So that is pretty tough to do in these times. We're still on lockdown. Atlanta is not so much in lockdown, but there is still an eviction moratorium that I believe was just extended maybe a month. And so we're trying to evaluate ways to do that in a manner that feels still ethical, whether that be rolling off leases or waiting it out a little bit longer than originally planned, and but then trying to get it back with bigger jumps, depending on how the neighborhood has grown. That's our focus for that particular deal. Then on the more team side, as you mentioned, I think I would say that we are still figuring out what skill sets we need to groom or learn and what skill sets we need to bring on or outsource. So that's a big focus for me for this year is determining beyond the partner I mentioned, we also have a few women who have a little bit newer perhaps, but have done a ton of marketing and branding experience and they have been doing some work for us in that realm. And I'm trying to figure out where I need expertise versus where I need say grit and hustle. And I think, to be honest, I don't necessarily have that perfect equation yet, but I know we have several more deals in the pipeline and I'm going to get something done and then I'm going to look back and I'll have, I'll strengthen my theory a little bit further on that. I, I distill it down a bit by bit. That's kind of the engineering me, but I do suspect we'll need, we'll need to bring on some more expertise this year, perhaps in fundraising sales side, just to um, find a real young killer that wants to get after it every day and just bring new people into our pool. 
Yeah, I like how you mentioned understanding the difference between expertise and grit and hustle. That's really unique. And uh, I love how you said that because it's so true. There's plenty of things that I've just had to be willing to just grit and hustle for so long to make it happen. However, there's also a big portion of the business where it's like, wait a minute, I can hire somebody that's so much better at this thing than I will ever be. And it's not the best use of my time. So it's much better to find somebody that has that expertise. However, there's just some things you have to do for a while and be willing to grit and hustle. But what about managing from a distance? You're in California, I think this deal's in Atlanta. What are some issues there? Or how did you work that out? Yeah, for sure. So I kind of kind of developed those chops previously in my own personal investing career because my properties were in Chicago, but I actually only lived in Chicago for perhaps 18 months to a year and then left and ended up managing those long distance from California another three to four years. And I think the key there, my recognition there was just this time was was much easier because I obviously had to put a property management in place to be a, a responsible steward of, of my investor's capital. And so that's what we did. And we've had some growing pains. Obviously, the cost is higher than if you're doing it yourself. It's hard to let go. The, the cost efficiency of managing a property with a couple buddies is very high, but it's not professional. So I guess I, I'm struggling to add any incredible clarity or, or simplicity to it. But no, I think it's, it's, it's just difficult sometimes to manage from that far. And I just wondered how you all had overcome that. But tell me, you've been doing this while working full time also. Is that right? That's right. So that speaks to that grit and that hustle also. And I love bringing that out because I had to do the same thing for a long time. It's like working more than two full-time jobs for a long time, or it was for me to make it happen. And so I I just love pointing that out to listeners that you got to be willing to hustle, right? You got to be willing to hustle. Uh, You know, you're up early this morning being interviewed on a podcast. Just congratulations to you. But tell us, do you have any daily habits that you're just disciplined about that have helped you achieve success, getting to that first deal and building this team and moving forward to the next one? I do. Yeah, I'm a bit of a crazy person in terms of the number of habits that I have, but I think they all contribute to to my success. And it does start with the mornings. I think mornings have to be done right for me to have productive days and continue to be productive over long periods of time. So it's always getting up. I normally get up at seven, which is not incredibly early, but in these pandemic times, I don't have to commute. So I find myself with much more time. So I'm getting an extra hour of sleep. I always start with water and fitness. So I do I do some form of exercise every day, usually hit workouts, running or yoga. Then I'll usually do some journaling, write a task list and review that and kind of sit down and have a cup of coffee. And interestingly, I don't really like to do any hard thinking on work prior to that cup of coffee being in my hand, which is different from some of your folks. I listened to another podcast of yours and yeah, you know, it's, you know, I don't like to get my brain started before I feel like it needs to be. And then it's going to be on until whatever hour of the evening. But I'm very intent on recharge times and preparation times remaining those things and then work time being work time. What's your best source for meeting new investors right now? I think LinkedIn, but I definitely don't have that figured out. That's kind of one of the things we're going to do to improve our business. We have presence on a lot of different platforms, but I would like to really go deep on, I would say, two platforms. But I would say word of mouth is definitely what got my first deal done and 
word of mouth will likely be what gets my second deal done, which is just asking my people in my network to introduce me to second level connections, third level connections, and just getting on the phone and Zoom meetings and really doing it old school. I'm projecting when I say that I think LinkedIn could be that place for me. What about the number one thing that's contributed to your success? Uh, the self-discipline you talked about. There's been a lot of times in my life where I've had to do unusual things, weird things, and be extraordinary, like waking up at 6 a.m. and working on a new skill set prior to going to my nine to five, seven days a week for months and months on end. That's what got me skill sets I needed to find my job in Silicon Valley. That's how I became a competent underwriter, just forcing myself over and over again to do the thing that I'm not yet good at. Austin, how do you like to give back? I love mentorship. I get a lot of energy from and positive vibes from talking to people younger than me who want to get to where I am. So I spend a lot of time kind of organizing masterminds, doing one-on-one advising, just anything where I can help someone else get a little bit more knowledge in their own real estate journey. And then beyond that, I would say with our charitable giving, we're pretty targeted and we like to give directly to causes that we care about that are Frequently the ones most currently under attack, I will say we are millennials. Social media can impact such things. But i.e. when Planned Parenthood was mostly defended or various movements against police brutality and things of that nature, we, we are pretty, we do follow the news cycle pretty intently. And we try to respond to that rather than just input and kind of sit in some of the ugliness that you see today. Well, Austin, it's a pleasure to get to know you a little bit. Pleasure to see just your willingness to hustle, really, and make that first deal happen and pushing forward to the next deal and growing your team and managing from a distance, being up early, just like we talked about, to be on a show. You know, I like how you highlighted self-discipline being the top thing that's contributed to your success. Uh, I think it's so important. I've done numerous shows on self-discipline and hope to do even more because I believe it's so important. But tell the listeners how they can get in touch with you and learn more about you. Yeah, absolutely. So we do have a website up, which is HarrietCapital.com. And then also I'm active on all the platforms. My Twitter handle is AustinCurr2, as is Instagram. Obviously, LinkedIn is my real name. And I run my mouth a lot on there. So please jump on, connect. I chat about this all day long and we'll continue to do so. Don't go yet. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I would love it if you would go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. I want to hear your feedback. It makes a big difference in getting the podcast out there. You can also go to the Real Estate Syndication Show on Facebook so you can connect with me and we can also receive feedback and your questions there that you want me to answer on the show. Subscribe too so you can get the latest episodes. Lastly, I want to keep you updated. So head over to lifebridgecapital.com and sign up for the newsletter. If you're interested in partnering with me, sign up on the contact us page so you can talk to me directly. Have a blessed day and I will talk to you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Show brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital, making a difference, one investor and one child at a time. Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success.